All right, Luke chapter 8. Grab your Bible, Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 4 is where we are today. Uh, You can go there on your app if you've got a device or we'll have it up on the screen. And if you need a Bible, you don't have one back at home, grab one of the Bibles we have around the room and take that home. That's our gift to you. We we just want you to have a copy of God's Word uh, of your very, very own. Uh, Today we're looking at a fairly well-known passage of Scripture. Uh, It's the parable of the, the soils. And I've preached this passage a number of times in our short history as a new church. Uh, it's also in the books of Matthew and, and, and Mark. And so if I can be completely transparent and honest, uh, thinking about this passage that it was coming and the number of times that I've already preached it before, uh, to be honest, I was a little bit reluctant. Um, how do I preach this ag- again? But as I prayed and prepared, I really believe the Lord has given me fresh eyes over this passage over the past few weeks. And I've moved from reluctant to really excited to share this passage with you. And so here's what, how I want to start. I want to start by just telling you a little bit of my routine as a, as a preacher. This is kind of how I prepare. I uh, give you a little bit of insight into my world. There's no such thing as a restaurant called TGIM. Thank God it's, it's Mondays, but that's my reality. That, that's, my, that's my Sabbath. That's when Becky and I do our dates. That's when we get refreshed. We'll go uh, to a restaurant. We're like the only ones in the restaurant because it's Monday. Uh, or we, we'll go to the cafe at night and we're the only ones in the, the cafe. Or we'll go to the theater. We're the only ones in the theater. Uh, we'll go to the dance floor and we're the only ones in the dance. Oh, we don't go clubbing, do we? But we go out on Mondays and uh, we wouldn't possibly go out on, on a weekend. It just would not happen. And so while most people are, are finding relief as they move closer to the weekend, I'm finding just this increasing pressure upon me. Just the more I move closer and closer to Sunday, I, it just gets heavier and heavier and heavier because I have to preach the Bible. I have to preach the very words of God. And so I, I, I take time several weeks in advance to begin to, to, to research and, and to do language work and, and, and learn the background and, and to do some interpretive stuff. And then the week of, I start to kind of work out some illustrations. I double check some sources and make sure what I came to my conclusion is, is actually correct. I do a ton of praying. And it's like this term paper that's due every single Sunday, including the holidays. And so when you're enjoying your figgy pudding, I'm freaking out that I have to preach twice and it better be the best I've got because you're bringing your family. <laughs> and so the pressure is, is on and it's weekend and week out, weekend and week out and weekend and week out. Little bit of relief on Monday and then the pressure. Relief on Monday And then the pressure, and it just builds and builds and builds beginning on Thursday until Saturday. It just absolutely peaks. And so we're not hanging out on Saturday. It's just just not happening. If you've ever seen me on a Saturday night because of maybe a wedding or something where I just had to be there, you saw me. I apologize, first of all, if I was a jerk to you or short, but I look like the walking dead. I mean, Saturday morning, I'll wake up. I'll wrestle with my boys. I'll have a tea party with my daughter. I'll address some of the issues on the to-do list for 
my wife, but come afternoon, I just go into zombie mode. I mean, I'm just, I'm just a zombie. I'm literally walking circles around my house, just, just going, going completely nuts. I can't talk in complete sentences. And so my wife knows that she can't talk to me above a, a three-year-old level because I'm just not making any sense. My brain is not working. She puts the kids to bed herself on, on Saturday nights. Uh, I generally just have to get out of the house to, to be alone with God and, and just beg God, please move in my heart because I cannot preach something that I am not living. And so every week I am just getting worked by the Lord. So if I'm talking about forgiveness, I'm on the phone. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. If I'm talking about faith, that's the week that the IRS bill shows up and I'm like, what? $2,000? Faith, Josh, you're preaching about faith. Don't be a hypocrite. If I'm talking about marriage, that's the week that our marriage just gets put in the pressure cooker. If I'm talking about parenting, that's the week my daughter, three years old, comes home with a tattoo on her neck of Johnny's name on it. You know, it's intense. It's intense. And on top of this, to be completely transparent, I'm wrestling with insecurity. Uh, I'm wrestling with uh, the fear of man. And, And come Saturday night, Ryan, correct me, but come Saturday night, you just feel completely incompetent for this job. I just completely incompetent. And so Saturday evening, praying my face off. Sunday morning, no later than four in the morning, I'm out of bed. I'm begging God, please move in my heart. And and God, please move in their hearts because I know that I cannot change anyone. It's only the Spirit of God that brings about change. And and so uh, I know that that what I'm going to say is going to, from time to time, or maybe more frequently than I'd like, tick some people off. Because if I am committed to preaching as it's called for in the Scriptures, to to preach the, the whole counsel of God, the whole thing. That means it's going to cut some people. It's going to hit them really hard. And while some hearts will be softened at every instance of hearing the word of God, other hearts are going to be hardened at every instance of hearing the word of God. Some are going to come and say, Josh, that just blessed me. And some are going to say, Josh, I am so mad at you and send me an, an email. The goal is not to give people what they want to hear, the goal is to give them what they need. My kids want a Twinkie. They need some broccoli, right? And that's true for you as well. And, and so just knowing all of this, the pressure just gets almost overwhelming at times, the pressure to, to preach. And, and, and you know what? Also, here's why. The Bible makes it clear that those who, who preach and teach have a massive responsibility upon them. James chapter 3 verse 1 says this, says not many of you should become teachers my brothers for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Greater strictness? Who wants that? Only people who have no brains. Greater strictness. Unfortunately the Bible makes it very clear that we're not to be surprised by the truth that there are going to be people who abuse this responsibility. Despite all the warnings in the scriptures, people are going to abuse this responsibility. The Bible gives us a few. Let me give you some of them. The Bible says that there, there are going to be preachers who are in it for attention. 
There are going to be preachers who are in it for recognition, to exalt self, not to exalt Jesus. The Bible also says that there are going to be preachers who are in it for money. 2 Corinthians calls them peddlers of the word of God. Scripture will also tell us that there are preachers out there who use their position to hook up. 2 Timothy speaks of this. Here's what it says. It says there are people who have a form of godliness or false godliness who worm their way into homes and to gain control over gullible women. Have you seen this on the news? That's why many people say, I don't want anything to do with that. I know all those guys who are up there, a bunch of hypocrites. And, and we live in Boston, ground zero for the Catholic priest scandal, where men have wormed their way into homes, into to families, and it is absolutely sick. And the Bible gives horrifying warnings to anyone who teaches, who preaches. I know that we have a number of people in our church family here who are preparing for pastoral ministry, and so you need to listen up. Later in Luke chapter 17, Jesus says this. He says, if you cause any of my little ones to stumble based on your influence, based on what you say, based on your leadership, based on your teaching, based on whatever, if you cause any of my little ones to stumble, it'd be better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and cast into the sea. Did you hear that? It'd be better for you to die Whitey Bulger style with cinder blocks at your feet, the depths of the Charles River, than to cause any of my little ones to stumble. Revelation chapter 22 says, if you add to the words of this book, that means if you say things that it doesn't say, if you twist it to benefit you, if you alter it in any way, if you add to this book, God says, I will add to you the plagues of this book. Exodus, anyone? Anyone? Exodus? Frogs? Flies? Hail? Gnats? Boils? Darkness? Death? He says, worse than that coming for you. It's not going to go well for you. God says, do not mess around, preachers, teachers, with my book. Don't you dare abuse the power of the microphone to mess with my people, to mess with my little ones. And so, not many of you should become teachers. And these are some massive warnings. And if you really believe them as a teacher or preacher, the weight is heavy week in and week out. And so, I have to be prepared. But listen, you show up and you have to be prepared as well. You have to be prepared for how you are going to receive the teaching. It's not just, wow, that's intense for him. It's intense for you as well. Today, Jesus is speaking to two broad groups of people. He's speaking to the teacher, to the preacher of God's word, which will be you all in some capacity. We should all be proclaiming the message of Jesus. But he's also preaching to the hearer of God's word. We've touched on the preacher, the proclaimer. Let's think about the the hearer for the rest of our time together, which is going to be all of us 
every Sunday throughout the week. On numerous occasions, we are going to be hearing the teaching of God's Word, myself included. I have a few faithful faithful pastors, preachers that I'm listening to and learning and growing from myself. So it's not just me, it's you. We're all kind of on the hook. We all are responsible for our part on Sundays. We all have this massive seriousness sitting on us. Jesus commands you, be ready. Let's skip ahead before we read the whole thing. Chapter 8, verse 8. Uh, It says this, he who has ears to what? Hear, let him what? Hear. Chapter 8, verse 18. Take care how you what? Hear. Chapter 8, verse 21. My mother and my brothers are those who what? Hear the word of God and do it. My true family are those who hear and respond whenever I speak, Jesus says. So Jesus here is doing what a good teacher will do. We have lots of great teachers in our church. When they want you to really get something, they're going to repeat it. He repeats it three different times in different ways because people learn differently. First, he'll use a story, parable. Then he'll use this object lesson, paint a picture for us. And then he'll use a real-life example that's happening right in that moment. That's what Jesus does because he wants you to hear this because not only am I on the hook, but you're on the hook. You have to get your ears ready to hear. You have to hear. Take care how you hear every time the scriptures are open. And so here's what he tells us. He he, he takes us to uh, helping us to understand how we receive the the scriptures when they're taught. And so look at Luke chapter 8 verses 4 through 8 for starters. It says, and when a great, great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow a seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things, or as he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so here's what's going on. Jesus has been moving around. He's traveling with his team. Verses one through three, as we saw last week, he's got his 12 uh, men who he's he's training to be apostles, to, to lead the movement after he's gone. He's got this diversity of just incredible, amazing women along with him. Uh, And then now in verse 4, we see that he's got this crowd going with him and and congregating around him. And it's just this growing crowd accumulating in each town. And he looks at this crowd and he tells them this parable. And now parables are are earthly stories with heavenly meaning. They're, They're earthly stories that connect to your day and age that have this heavenly meaning. And so for them, it was an agricultural society. And so this this. Uh, story of, of the soil really connects with them so that they can understand some heavenly, eternal truths. Here's the parable. Let's review it again. Some of you know it, but I don't want to assume. And so here's the parable. He says a sower, farmer, goes out with seeds. And he goes out throwing seed. And some of the seed falls in different types of soil. There's four different types of soil. This isn't mathematical. There could be other types, I suppose. But these are four general, most common soil. First of all, soil is uh, like a dirt path. The, the seed falls on a dirt path, and it's trampled, and birds snatch it and eat it. The second kind of soil is this rocky soil, and the seed 
falls. It, it grows quick, but it withers because it lacks the ability to get a lot of moisture because it's rocky soil. The third kind of soil is soil with thorns. It falls among the thorns, and the seed starts to grow, but the thorns just choke it out. And the, the, the fourth kind is good soil. It's the ready soil. It's, it's ripe, perfect soil that it grows and flourishes and produces a hundredfold return. Verse 8, then it says that Jesus called out, which means he's making this very important point. Sometimes I'll raise my voice and I'm saying, hear this. He raises his voice. He calls out. He's making this point. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, some of you are going to get this. Not all of you. Some of you. As I shared earlier, you know, part of the the heaviness of, of preaching is just knowing that some of what I say is going to fall onto deaf ears and it breaks my heart and that's the heaviness and I'm praying and pleading every week for God to open up those ears to, to hear. But Jesus' disciples, they weren't deaf to this. So, so read with me uh, verses 9 and 10. It says, And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said to you, It has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. And so Jesus' disciples heard, they definitely, verse 9, didn't fully understand what it meant, and so they're going to ask a little bit more, but their hearts are at least soft. They want to know more. Unlike verse 10, Jesus says, for others, their hearts are hard, they're not going to hear, and the parables are uh, another way to obscure the truth. For some, they help people connect. For others, it, it obscures the truth. That's some tough stuff to, to wrap your mind around. And that's another reason why preaching is such a heavy task, requiring so much more than research and, and, and writing and oratory work. It requires that spiritual work of just begging, pleading with God. Please move in hearts because you just know that every single time the scriptures are shared, it's going to be used to soften some and it's going to be used to harden others. Some hearts are going to be soft to receive the truth or at least be getting made ready so that at a later date they'll receive the truth and God's mercy and his patience for them is on display. Others' hearts are are getting harder and harder and harder and God has proven just in his judgment But for the disciples, their hearts were were softened at this. And they said, we want to know more. Help us to understand this. Now, let that be hopeful for you. These guys have been hanging out with Jesus for a couple years now. And they don't, it doesn't click immediately. And some of you, you've been hanging around this whole Jesus movement thing for some time now. And and you're still, you're still struggling. You don't quite understand or maybe you're not quite there you're not quite ready to give your life to Jesus or you're struggling with obedience in a particular area or you're maybe kind of like that plant that takes some time to actually bear fruit the house I grew up in this one level ranch house we planted this cherry tree and we were all excited and it's we're going to pick cherries and cherries on top of our ice cream and it took years before any cherries started to come out I'm glad we didn't chop the thing down and, and, and some of you, and some of those people that you love, you're praying for, maybe there is something happening up under the soil. Maybe there is some life and there's no fruit yet. It doesn't necessarily mean chop it down and throw it in the fire as another parable says. It could just mean give them time. There's stuff happening there that we just don't see yet. Now, Jesus explains this parable to them as they requested. Let's read on verse 11. 
says, now the parable is this, he says. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root, as they believe for a while, and in time of testing fall away. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So he says, verse 11, the seed is the word of God. That would be the Bible. We have to be careful when we use that word a lot because a lot of times we just say, I'm going to dig into the word. And people are like, what is he talking about? Clarify, the word is the Bible. Oh, okay. So Jesus says the seed is the, the word of God. That would be the Bible or the, the good news, the gospel of, of Jesus. And so again, that, that taught, preached word is what the farmer is sowing. That's what we're proclaiming. That's what I do every single week in this context. It, it, it also means that, that well, well, think about it this way. Imagine that the seed being, uh, or the word being like a seed. I mean, truly what Jesus said, that every time you proclaim the truths of Scripture, that, that it has potential to grow into something amazing like the great oaks at the Arboretum. I mean, that keeps me sowing, right? We get rejected all the time, but it keeps me sowing because I just imagine Somebody could hear this and receive it and just be a giant of faith. And so just keep on sowing. Verses 12 through 15, he then goes on and tells us about these four different kinds of soil, but he actually uh, clarifies what he's, he's talking about. These represent different heart conditions with regards to the receptivity of the, the Word of God. And as we look at these types of soils, I want you to ask yourself, which one am I? Which one do I, I identify with? I want you to ask yourself. So we tended to say, oh, that would be my cousin, that would be my mom. What about you and your own heart? The first kind of soil he gives us in verse 12 is the hardened. If you're a note taker, that's number one. The first kind of soil is the hardened. It's that soil that is going to be hard and is going to be rejecting to the, the seed or the message. It might land for just a moment, but the birds are going to come and, and, and snatch it away. I always feel bad for college campus lawn people, you know, the people who do that on college campus because uh, we, we have a few campuses around Boston, I think, uh, and, and they create these beautiful lawns in, in this beautiful city, but it seems like wherever there is a right angle, there's also, you know what I'm talking about? There's just like a, a dirt path, and so I try to honor those guys, and I look like a fool when I'm on a college campus, and I just walk. And I kind of about face because I just feel so bad for those guys. I don't ever want to, I don't want to cut the, the corner. I imagine the psychology professors have a heyday with it. They get out there and yeah, yeah, Freud was right about this one. Everybody cuts over there, right? What happens is they, they cut that corner. They walk that path over and over and over again. The soil just gets hard so that if you were to ever try to plant anything on it, it would just hit and it would just, it would just bounce. It would just bounce or a bird would say, hey, seed and, and eat it up. And similarly, that's how many people are when they reject the message of Jesus. We, we give them the word and it just hits them and, and they've heard. Maybe it even, land, it seems like something's happening and then it's gone quickly or somebody snatches it away. Some people hear the gospel and just say, nah, I don't think so. No thanks. No thanks. Let, let me just say something. Jesus makes this incredibly clear. 
He says, I don't want you to be mistaken. This is the work of Satan in the heart. He's like a bird snatching the, the seed that lays on the, the ground. In fact, in first century Jewish literature, birds often represented the work of Satan or his demons. And so one could be rejecting the word because of logic. I'm too smart for Jesus. I'm in Boston. Or they could be rejecting the word because of need. I don't need anything. I certainly don't need Jesus. I'm doing fine. Or some people could reject the word of Jesus because of timing. Well, you know, I'm not ready quite yet. Maybe when I have kids, maybe when I settle down. But ultimately, what does Jesus attribute it to? The bird, the Satan, the enemy. That's, that's the hard soil. The next kind is, is what we call the shallow. If you look at, at verse, <coughs> excuse me, verse 13, we see that it, it's this, this rocky kind of soil. And so the, the, the dirt that's able to, like a sponge, soak up the moisture is very, very shallow. But underneath there's, there's rock. And so what happens is after the seed is planted, it starts to grow a little bit of root. But the roots can't go very deep. And they can't receive a lot of moisture. And, 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 and so at the first sign of trouble, whether it's a wind or somebody comes to tug at it, it just doesn't, it doesn't survive. And let's be honest. Many of us have seen this in our own lives, haven't you? I, mean, I can think back to a number of people in my life who got so excited. They gave their life to Jesus. They're, they're walking with Jesus. They're, they're this young, excited Jesus follower. But they're, they, they didn't go deep in their, in their faith. They didn't grow Roots, and when the first sign of challenge or temptation started to come their way, they fell away forever, proving not to last and proving ultimately not to have been a follower of Jesus in the first place. And some might argue, but Josh, their salvation experience was so genuine. It, was, it just seemed so sincere. It seemed so powerful. That's why verse 13, Jesus says, they received it with joy, but they had no root. They fall away. You do not judge your salvation on past experience. You judge it on current life change. Let me say that again. You do not judge your salvation on some past experience. You judge it on current life change. You can't say, well, when I was eight, I went to this vacation Bible school and I prayed this prayer because they said, do you want to go to hell? And I was like, heck, heck no. And so, okay. He says, No. Current, what, what's, what's the proof in your life now? There is a moment that you pass from death to life. There is a moment that your citizenship transfers. But what for you is the proof today that you are in fact a child of, of God? There are some who are shallow. Second Corinthians chapter 5, 17, awesome verse to memorize. I'm trying to always give you memory verses. I wonder if anybody's actually memorizing. You should definitely do this. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's evidence that there is a lot that has changed. This person is new or being made new. A true Christian, according to the Bible, is one who has been changed by Jesus. And it's beginning to be evidence. person who's been changed. Don't judge it just based on baptism or CCD or confirmation or some childhood experience. Judge it based on what's happening in your life that is confirmation of your salvation. Are you, in fact, a new creature? Were you changed? Are you being changed? Is there evidence that your roots are growing 
deep. That's why we're very careful around here to say we've seen this number of people make professions of faith, but time will tell if in fact they have really truly given their lives to Jesus. The third kind that he gives us is the choked out. In verse 14, he says there's some seed that will fall into the soil, but around it are thorns. And what happens is a seed may begin to grow, but it doesn't get to grow tall because the thorns start to to choke it out. These are the people who say yes to following Jesus. But when they're called to obey the commands of Jesus, they say, eh, I don't know about that. No thanks. Listen, we're about the gospel, which is the good news that the gift of Jesus is free. You do nothing to earn it. It's a free gift, not a reward. Reward you earn, a gift you receive. So you don't have to clean up to give your life to Jesus. You don't get saved. You don't become a Christian. You're not made right with God because you deserve it or because you cleaned your act up and you're holy enough. It's just, he says, right now, right now, you're mine. Prostitute. Okay, come on, you're mine. Woman caught in adultery. Right now, let's go. You're with me. You don't have to clean up for God. However, once you give your life to Jesus, he will call you to start to live out, to start to obey the words of this book to grow in what we call sanctification, more and more in holiness and in Christ-likeness. And the choked out are the people who are Christian in name only. But when they hear the commands of Scripture applied to their lives, they start to say, eh, no thanks. Yeah, I even hear what the Bible has to say, but I just, I'm not going to obey. I don't feel like obeying that. That perspective acts as if God is some cosmic killjoy. When he gives you a command, his commands are for your good. His commands are for you to flourish, for you to to thrive. And so when he calls you to something, trust him. But Jesus says, these people, they, they start to grow, but they don't want to because they've got all this other stuff around them that's pulling them away and, and choking at them. One of the primary ones he alludes to, speaks to, is, is riches. I don't need anything. I'll obey God. I'll, I'll turn to God more fully when I, I feel like maybe I need something. And some people have no physical needs, and so they feel like they don't really have any spiritual needs. I guess I'm all right. Or he says, Some people are just too preoccupied with the pleasures of life. There are a ton of things that fall under the pleasures of life. But in my experience, relationships are the number one thing. For single women, time and time again, the Bible makes it really clear that you are to only be with a man who can spiritually lead you. But time and time and time again, I constantly see it. Women who say, yeah, but you know what? He loves me. He's good to me. He's kind to me. Can he spiritually lead you? You're getting choked out by the pleasures of life. You're missing out on the pleasures of heaven, of obedience that will prove so much greater. For many, it's, it's pornography. It's the pleasures of life. See, it's, he uses the word pleasure. In other words, it's, I'm not saying it's not fun for a little while, but eventually it's gonna start to choke you and destroy you and overtake you it's funny i've seen a number of articles lately it's just pretty funny it's on facebook by by non-christian writers and and people will start to say wow check this out and they'll say something like we're beginning to find that pornography is not good for humanity 
I'm like, wow, you are so brilliant. We're beginning, we're beginning to find that it contributes to the oppression and the objectification of women, and maybe we should consider another route. You think? I mean, it's just, of course. It, it's going to eventually choke you out and crush you. Perhaps, maybe, they say, a mutual relationship would be a better option. One that has commitment. It's unbelievable. God commands what he commands because he commands things for our good. So my question is, are are you getting choked out? Is your growth getting stunted? Because there's there's a little bit of soil, but you can't go deep. Or or maybe it's because you you have good soil, but it's it's the the ceiling that's the the, the issue. You're capped out because these thorns are, are starting to pull at you. No, over here, over here. Trust that God is not a killjoy. He wants your pleasure, eternal pleasure and joy and good for you. But maybe you're getting choked out. And then here's the last soil. Number four, he says, you have the responsive soil. Verse 15, he says that some soil is the good soil. It's the right condition for a healthy plant. And Jesus says, those of you who hear I mean, really hear and you respond. You start to grow tall, you grow deep, and you bear fruit. And there's evidence of life change. Matthew chapter 7 says, you will know them by their what? By their fruit. You're going to know a true Christian by their fruit. The result will be spiritual fruit. That Your heart has been changed and we can see it in the life that you're now living. It doesn't necessarily mean that yesterday you were dealing crack and today you're dealing Bibles in China. I mean, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's this amazing overnight, wow, it's just spectacular. That's why key words he gives us here are those who hold fast with an honest and good heart. In other words, don't lie to yourself when the word comes at you. Don't, don't lie, but, but be honest. God, I'm struggling here. I, I don't know if I'm, I'm living for you here. He says, hold fast with an honest heart, with a, a, a good heart. Be honest. God, help me. I want to grow. I want to obey. Are you the person who every single week you come in here and you say, my wife needs to hear that. <laughs> well, yeah, I got a friend at work who needs to hear that. What about you? Be honest. Don't play these games with yourself. Is your growth stunted? Do you have no passion for Jesus? Are you bearing any fruit? Yeah. Are you? Really? You can't make any progress unless you're honest with yourself. That's why he says an honest and and good heart. Stop playing games with God. You might fool yourself, but you're not going to fool God. Key words also, hold fast and bear fruit with, with patience. In other words, it might be like, I don't see a lot of change. Somebody one time when I was a, a younger guy said, I'm struggling. I just don't see a lot of change in the past couple of weeks. <laughs> he was like, weeks? He was an older man. He was like, it's because you're thinking in weeks. man." He got out a dry race board, and on, on this wall for me, he went like this. <laughs> and drew this big mountain with a lot of dips. He's like, yeah, you're in a little dip. You maybe feel like you're backtracking, but you're growing a ton. Hold fast with patience. And in time, you'll be able to look back and say, wow, 
who am I compared to that? Just so much change. It's just day after day after day after day after day saying yes to God, obeying God, making a mistake and sinning and struggling, coming back to God and yes and obeying and growing and growing and growing and being responsive and holding fast the word of God. Patience, being honest over and over and over again. And you start to bear fruit. Now, Jesus then switches pretty quickly from fruit to light. And he does this a number of times in the scriptures. Something he kind of goes to holds almost synonymous. So look with me at 16 through 18. He says, No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. So he switches from fruit to light. And he says, if the word, the seed of the word falls on your heart and it begins to, to, to grow up and not be thwarted, not be stunted and bear fruit, it's going to be fruit for all to see. Your fruit will be like a light for all to see. And then Jesus says, for nothing is hidden that will not be made known, that will not come to light. In other words, all these games we play with God are going to be exposed. I know it's hard for us at times to differentiate between what's real fruit and what's fabricated fruit. We've talked about that quite a bit over the past couple of months. But trust God, he knows he is the final judge. And then he says, take care how you hear. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Now, I remember earlier I talked about these preachers who add to the word of God or, or twist the word of God to say something that it doesn't actually say to benefit themselves. This is one of those verses time and time again where preachers will commonly twist it for personal gain. Verse 18, it says, For the one who has, more will be given. And the one who has not, even what he thinks he has, will be taken, taken away. And so they'll take this out of context and, or, or take it by itself. We call that proof texting. And, and, and they'll take it and they'll say, well, you have more money. And if you give it to the, to the church and to the Lord and boost my salary, then you can have even, even more. But if you don't, then you're going to lose what you already have. And if it's read by itself, you can say, okay, yeah, I see how you can conclude that. And very convenient for the, the preacher doing so. But Paul says to the young preacher, Timothy, he says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. In other words, don't get this wrong. When you teach it, none of these games, none of this proof texting. Look at it closely in context. And if you look at it closely, and if you look at it in context, it says, for the one who has, what does Jesus say earlier? He who has, what? Ears. To hear, that's what he's talking about here. He's not talking about if you have some stuff, it's because you've given and you're going to get more. He says if you have ears to hear, if you're listening, if you're really listening and leaning in, you're going to get more and you're going to keep hearing more. If you come hungry, you're going to get fed. Greater things, more and more and more. In fact, it was crazy. This morning, I'm sitting on my sofa early in the morning, and I'm reading this very verse. And my daughter comes downstairs, and she says, Daddy, will you hold me? 
I'm like, okay. And, and so, and usually I'll hold her every morning when she wakes up. She's almost always the first one up, except for Sunday mornings. I'm freaking out, as I told you. And so this morning I said, yeah, I'll hold you. And I held her, and she sits in my lap, and she says, I don't know where she got this from. She goes, Dad, let's play the listening game. So I'm like, listening game? What's the listening game? She says, Shh, listen. She's four years old, and so we listen. And we start to hear all these sounds. And what she meant was, you're quiet. You can hear lots of different sounds. And so the first thing that we heard were morning birds chirping outside of our window. And then we listened a little more, and we heard the radiator ticking. We listened a little more, and we heard the whizzing of cars down on the parkway. And it's pretty cool that the more you listen, the more you hear. That's what Jesus is saying. But for one who who has no ears to hear, even what they think they hear is going to start to get hardened and they're not going to hear anymore. But catch it, the more you listen, the more you hear. Are you intently listening to the word of God? And if you are, the promise is the more you listen, the more you hear. It means every time you have an opportunity to hear the word of God. You've got to listen carefully. You've got to lean in. You have an amazing opportunity before you. And you've got to ask, am I, am I listening carefully? And then Jesus says, take care how you hear. Other instances in the synoptic gospels when this appears, it says, take care what you hear or that you hear. Luke says, I want to really emphasize in light of all that Jesus said, this how of what you hear. In other words, how are you hearing? Every single Sunday, you have to prepare your ears to hear. You have to get out this big, hunking spiritual Q-tip because some of us, myself included, regularly have blockage. And we've got to clear it out. That means for some of you, You can't stay out late on a Saturday night so that you're not sleeping through a service. You wouldn't do that for work. i got to get to bed. It's a priority to me. The Word of God is being shared. It's the most important day of the week according to the Scriptures. I want to get myself ready. I'm going to get sleep. I'm going to be ready to focus. For, for, For others, maybe it's you need to work on not being rushed. You've got to slow down so that you can hear things. That means you've got to get yourself to church on time. And on time doesn't mean just so that you can hear the word, but that you get yourself to church on time so that you can be a part of every single song that we do. It prepares your heart for worship. I know Kevin so well and his heart so well and his preparation so well. He prayerfully works with me to choose every single song that we sing so that it will help prepare people's hearts for worship and bring glory to God, including song number one. Every single song. Uh, Just as an aside, I've talked about this in the past, but if you're going to have company over to your house, you're not going to show up five or ten minutes late. You're going to be waiting for them and ready for them. This church is your spiritual house. And we have company every single week. I think it's been three years since we've not had a first-time guest in the life of our church. 
That means this is our spiritual house. I want to be here early. I want to be waiting. I want to be ready for them. I also want to be prayerful. I want to be getting my heart ready. I want to be singing every song. I don't want to be rushed. This is a massive, important opportunity. I wouldn't be late for work on Wednesday because it's a priority to me. But God is gracious. He won't fire me, so it doesn't matter. He says, don't abuse grace. Don't abuse grace, Romans says. Prioritize. Get yourself ready. Get the Q-tip out. Another thing is we get prayed up. Part of the reason why we like to go through books of the Bible is because you know what we're preaching on next week. And so you can study it and you can prepare your heart and you you can get prayed up. God, please move in my heart. Please move in the hearts of the people around me. Do something awesome this week in their hearts and in my heart, Lord. Jesus says, take care then how you hear. Take care. Let's pay attention to how we hear, how we receive the word of God. And so, how are you doing when it comes to receiving the word of God? Based on your life, are you bearing fruit? Is your fruit lasting. And if you're not bearing fruit, not shining light that is just evidence that you have been changed by Jesus, now is a great time for some self-evaluation. And so which soil, let me ask you, best describes your heart? Is it hard? Just completely unwilling to receive the message you're rejecting Jesus? Is your heart rocky with shallow soil? You just, you never really gone deep. I like to ask people, so spiritually, what changes have you seen in your life over the past year? Uh, Are you growing deeper? You have to grow deeper in your faith because when the wind picks up and the storms of life come, you're just going to get washed away. Or are you choked out by the riches and the pleasures of this life and they're tugging at you? And you can't grow, you can't produce fruit. Just completely distracted. You're not obeying the word of God. Or maybe you're good soil. Or maybe even today, right now, is the best your soil has ever been. That your heart is soft by the grace of God. And the weeds have been pull, pulled and, 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 and you've been tilled up and you're, you're ready to receive the message of Jesus. And so I'm giving it to you as I always do every single week, and the message of Jesus is that you were made for a relationship with God. But you turned from God and said, I don't need you anymore. And because you turned from the one who breathed into you the breath of life, the wages of sin is death. You die. Physically, eternally, spiritually, forever, you die separated from God. But God is so loving and he's so gracious that he came into humanity, lived the life that we could never live perfectly, undeserving of the wages of sin, which is death. And died a sinner's death on a cross. It says that's in your place should you trust in me. And then to prove that he's God and king and Lord of lords, he comes back to life. It's the Holy Spirit saying, yes, this is God. Follow him. And he's calling you now, if your heart is soft, to say yes to Jesus. Some of you right now say yes to Jesus. 
The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Some of you right now need to be saved. Give your life to Jesus. And if so, listen to 19 through 21, we'll close. Then his mother and his brothers came to him at the end of this teaching. But they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. He says, if you hear the word of God, you're brought into the family of God. You're part of the family of God. It's this beautiful picture, this beautiful gift of who you are in Christ. You're close to Jesus. He loves you. He adores you. You're my brother. You're my mother. You're mine. You're my kin. And again, I invite you to that today. Would you guys close your eyes? We just do this every week just to get distractions out of the way. Nothing super spiritual about closing your eyes, but I would love to invite you right now, if you've never given your life to Jesus, to say yes to Jesus. Maybe your heart has never been softer. Others of you, you run the risk of being the one choked out. There are some other pleasures in this life that are causing you to say no to obeying the Lord. And I would love to invite you to repent, to turn, and to give it fully to Christ and say yes in obedience. And then all of us were called to sow the seed in faith. to do what I'm doing now, but every day in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, with our family members, with our friends, with our roommates, we're called to sow seed of the gospel. You can't control the soil. That's the Holy Spirit's work, but you can control whether or not you will throw seed. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Do you really believe that soil of your neighbor, if you share Christ with them, that seed is so powerful that it could do things in their heart and life that you would never have imagined were possible. Stop playing God. Start sowing seed. Sow the seed. Wherever you're at now, you respond to God and talk to him. And then I'll close this in prayer. Lord, we are so thankful that you give us your word, that every week we get to have that seed hit us, work in us. Thank you for your word. For those of us who have yet to receive the seed for the first time, that it would germinate in our hearts, Lord, do that work. For those who have been bad soil, Lord, would you stir them up, cause them to repent, to turn, soften their hearts. For those who have neglected to sow seed, Lord, do that in them. Do whatever you want to do in our hearts in this time. Thank you for the opportunity to sit under the amazing word of God that is true. Kings and kingdoms have tried to destroy it. The word of the Lord stands forever. Many have tried to prove it to be false, but they can't the best-selling book of all time, your word.
because it's more than a book. It's living and active. And may it prove living and active in our hearts and grow up into something strong. Lord, we don't want to be weak Christians. We want to be strong with deep roots because we know it is inevitable that we're not to be surprised when the trials come. So make us ready for it. And Lord, may we bear fruit. May we be light in our community. Do this in us by the power of your word. Sanctify us in truth. Your word is truth. Do your work in Jesus' name. Amen.